Counter the latest internet sensation. Might be The Governor General and I both spent some time on rowing machines. I'm sure most of you are wondering what are you doing here? What the hell do you have to lose? The wibble wobble, wibble wobble, jelly on a plate. Weekend breakfast with Seb Costello on Triple M. It is good to be back. This is the Weekend Breakfast with Seb Costello, the radio program with 100% more. The wibble wobble, wibble wobble, jelly on a plate. Thank you, Matthias Corman. Donald Trump always has an ability to catch your ear. What's he on about here? What do you have to lose? You're living in poverty. Your schools are no good. You have no jobs. 58% of your youth is unemployed. What the hell do you have to lose? He's not talking about Collingwood's game against Hawthorne tomorrow, is he? Oh, sorry, sorry. Just trying to have some fun. Well, what a morning to start back. Good to be here. Plenty to talk about. The Rostevsky case, the missing mum from Avondale Heights. There's some brand new evidence coming out this morning about that that I want to tell you about. Also, speaking of the Magpies, a bit of a personnel shake-up at Collingwood. You'll recognise these names, pretty big names in footy circles. want to tell you all about that. Danny Green's ahead too. What is happening with that mundane fight? We better check in with the green machine. And coming up shortly, I'm going to put it out there, Australia's smartest power lifter. Just seeing the photos coming in of Richard Branson, the virgin billionaire who's had a bike accident. He looks terrible. In a neck brace, got a massive black eye. We'll drill down into the details of that a bit later. But the biggest case in Victoria continues to be that of missing Avondale Heights mum, Karen Rostevsky. By now, you probably know the details. She was last seen on June 29, leaving her home. Her husband said they were having an argument about money and she hasn't been seen since. Didn't return to the boutique they run together that day and that was when the police investigation began. And police are still considering this a suspicious disappearance, which is why inquiries continue. Well, the Herald Sun on the front page has some brand new evidence that you need to know about. And here it is. They're reporting today that police have sought mobile phone data from Mrs. Rostevsky's phone and that it pinged or was detected by a transmitter tower on the Calder Highway near Gisborne on June 29, the day that she went missing. They're also reporting that on the same day, her husband's phone pinged on the Calder Highway also near Diggers Rest. It's about 20 k's north of their home in Avondale Heights. So they're going through the mobile phone data now, although it needs to be pointed out that that mobile phone data tracing is often... Not enough for a court to decide that a person is involved or whatever. The evidence can be a little bit dicey. And in fact, uh, the paper also goes to an expert on this who says that it only captures a call from where the call was made. So if a person's traveling, for example, in a car on a highway, they might not necessarily be in that area when, when the phone call finishes, if you like. So look, it doesn't mean that, you know, that, that the evidence is completely infallible, but uh, there is what's being reported today. I think we should check in with uh, a reporter on that a bit later because it's just a story that, that keeps developing and everyone just wants to know what happened to Karen. In the 20th century, the sporting landscape was indeed a wide world. But with the advent of the interweb communication and global overpopulation, the sporting universe is bigger than ever. And champions beyond the traditional games deserve their recognition. Presenting the Weekend Breakfasts, 
glittering galaxy of sport. And don't the kids love it? Triple M's Weekend Breakfast with Seb Costello. My next guest is Theodore Muratitis. And I'm going to put it out there that this bloke might be Australia's smartest powerlifter. Not only can he bench and deadlift all sorts of weights, he's about to start a PhD in aerospace engineering in the United States, if you don't mind. Morning, Theodore. Thanks for having me on, mate. What did you have for breakfast this morning? For breakfast? (laughs) Big bowl of oats and a big (laughs) omelette, mate. Do you have to watch your eating as a powerlifter? Some people would say yes. A lot of people would say no because we do have this uh, terrible addiction to donuts and monster energy <laughs> drinks. So, you know. Now, mate, I uh, spoke to one of the real gurus of uh, heavy lifting on this yeah. program not so long ago, a Hafthor Bjorsson yeah, or the mountain, and he lives life by this philosophy. There's no reason to be alive if you can't do deadlifts. Yeah, uh, someone else said that. I can't remember what his name was, but it was I think it was a previous uh, Icelandish guy, uh, Sigmar Sen, I think it was. Can't remember, but you know what? Deadlift is my favourite lift, as uh, and you, as you can see by our numbers, I completely agree with that statement. So. <laughs> Some would look at powerlifting as a sport for meatheads, mate. I'm going to be frank. I'm played devil's advocate here. That doesn't sum you up, does it? You're about to start no, a PhD in aerospace engineering at MIT, one yeah. of the most prestigious universities in the world over in Boston. Yeah. I'll read here what it is that you study, okay? And uh, what it is is you're hoping... You're on the cusp of fusion research using magnetic confinement of plasmas for energy production for rocket propulsion. Yeah. What does that all mean? Let me give you a brief a brief summary <laughs> of what I did and where I'm going. So I just finished at MIT, uh, my undergraduate, in uh, doubled in aerospace engineering and physics. And essentially, you know, since four years old, I've been fascinated by rockets, rocket propulsion, stuff like that. And basically, I was just kind of upset that we couldn't travel fast in the universe. So I was like, hey, why don't we make it faster using nuclear fusion, which is, you know, the next big, uh, the next big, I would say, energy source for a whole range of applications for energy for mankind, you know, just just instead of electricity, or I would say, you know, in substitute of steam engines, et cetera, all that kind of stuff. So uh, it's just, a, I think it's just a great, great avenue of research and has a huge range of applications and for me i'm specifically interested in rockets so why not use it as a source of propulsion right but of course this stuff is expensive though isn't it to be able to study at a big university like that and to be able to make the breakthroughs that you're talking about yeah absolutely i think the most difficult thing is you know once you have a great idea a great idea is only a great idea if you can have investment from big companies and you know i'm obviously in the moment trying to work with big space agencies etc companies that who who like this idea and faculty who like this idea who want to fund want to fund this and th- see this really as the future uh, of spacecraft travel and really as a sustainable energy source for mankind yeah so mate if people do want to get involved and support you is there a way they can do it well i mean i'm not sure in that sense but i mean if, if there's you know if, if there's any companies out there i would say who want to fund this idea then absolutely I'm how do they contact you on. uh they can get me i guess through my email which is uh T-M-O-U-R-A-T-1 at MIT.edu. Hit him up. Theodore Muratitis, it has been fantastic to chat and good luck with everything. All right, thank you very much. We heard from Donald Trump earlier in the program and he is always providing us with uh, some interesting commentary. I don't know if there's a problem with my ears here or maybe there's a microphone issue, but he made a speech in Detroit earlier this week and there was just a bit of it that made me sit up and say, what the... Have a listen. And cause trillions in new dollars and wealth to come pouring into our country. 
and, by the way, into cities like right here in Detroit. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Back up. What in Detroit? Cities like right here. Say that again. Cities like right here. I don't want to be immature in this, but this is a strange thing for Donald to say. Cities like right here. (laughs) What is going on? I would say the man has lost the plot, but uh, I think we kind of already knew that. One more time. Cities like right here. I'm being juvenile. Apologies, but I guess the microphone must have dropped out, and that is one of the all-time worst points for a microphone to drop out. Presumably, he was trying to say cities. Comes out a little bit more like this. Cities like right here. Thank you, Donald. What's the best emoji? Somebody has just texted me putting forward the wheat Apparently, it's swaying in the wind, meaning everything is chilled, go with the flow. I like it. I'm uh, personally a bit of a fan of the thumbs up. But if you have a nomination, send us a tweet. Your favourite emoji at Seb Costello 9. Anyway, enough fun stuff. Let's get serious. Health and fitness with Danny Green. Morning, Greeny. Good morning, Seb. How are you, buddy? Mate, I, uh, your Eagles last night, getting the job done over the Crows. Uh, did you enjoy sitting back and watching that? Yeah, mate, it was good. They they, they um, gave them a touch-up. I was really surprised, especially on the road with no Nick Natnui. They, um, the big field was just superb, and, man, it was a great game. Mate, there's a photo on your Instagram here of uh, you just snuggling up on the couch uh, with a very fine specimen. Who, what, where is that that you're hugging? <laughs> well, it's um, much to the, to, to the, I guess the um, to, well, my disgruntled my disgruntled wife. That's my new squeeze, my bull terrier <laughs> yo-yo. So. <laughs> she gets a fair bit of attention around the house, mate, and she, um, she, yeah, she fits like a glove around here, so it's great. When you say bull terrier, I think of a sort of menacing animal, but she's snuggling into your shoulder there and looking all the world the most peaceful unit you could find. Mate, I walk down the park or I walk down the street and people pick their dogs up or they pick their kids up. Mate, she is the biggest cookie. She's such a pussycat. The dogs growl at her and she gets scared, mate. I love her. She's so beautiful. She's just such a mellow cat. So, Yo-yo. How long yeah. have you had Yo-Yo? Oh, we've had her for 10, 10 months now. She is. She was her for eight months. We got her when she was two months old. And, mate, we've got two chihuahuas as well. So um, they run the house. She's just part of it. And uh, she fits in well, mate. She's... She's a bit loose, so um, yeah, she does well around here. For teamdannygreen.com.au, we're talking to the great man himself. And, mate, we haven't chatted for a few weeks. I've been over in Rio covering the games and watching the great Usain Bolt. And you met him once, didn't you? Well, I was going to ask, mate. You, 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 you're always asking me the question because you're the boss. This is your show. But I was going <laughs> to ask you, mate, how was the Olympics? That was great. I mean, Usain Bolt, clear highlight for me. And you talk about that, you know, that Jamaican 4x100 relay team. Bolt, incredible, nine-time gold medalist. Asafa Powell, who was the guy who had the world record before Bolt. Johan Blake, who's done really well at World Championships, and Nikel Ashmead. I think that was the definition of hashtag squad goals. Those blokes are the coolest guys I've ever seen. But, yeah, did you meet Bolt once? Yeah, I, I, when he came out here in 2010, um, he did a, a charity run out at Homebush. It was a big crowd out there for for Athletics Australia and um, a 4 by 100 relay, and I was the last person to get the bat. And I got my bat in about five seconds after Usain Bolt got his. 
So I um I was you know I really had a lot of work to do to catch up to him, <laughs> <laughs> but it was great seeing him. Mate, he was just incredible, and got to meet him. And then we did the bridge climb, and um, I was like, I do the the Sydney Harbour bridge climb with him, mate. Very very cool dude, down to earth, but just uh he he's just an animal, and just like we're talking about it with my with my family, the one hundred meter final, the pressure, like it's just all they got to do is run a hundred mm. meters, but. You can't make one mistake. The pressure would have been immense. He's such an incredible athlete. I don't think we'll ever see it again. I mean, you think now three Olympics in a row. So he's won the hunt. He's been the best hundred meter sprinter at Olympic level for twelve years. Mate, it's pretty special. Like it's um, he's the fastest man in the world, and I got him to sign some gloves for my kids, and uh, and they were just over the moon. And I played a trick on Chloe after the 200-meter final just gone. I said to Chloe, I said, darling, I want to text him because she knew I'd, I'd met him and did a bridge climb and had a race. She said, get out of here, Dad. <laughs> so I jet up. I, I put my missus' phone. I, I put her number as Usain Bolt, and I said, hey, <laughs> hey, it's your mate from Australia, Usain, legend. You're the man. Well done. She goes, get out of here, Dad. And like, my wife waited about 10 minutes. She goes, He's not going to check his phone, Dad. I said, yeah, of course he will. As soon as he gets down there, he'll check his phone. Family, friends. Ten minutes later, my missus texts me back. Oh, Greeny, thanks so much, my man. My I'm the king. And tell your daughter to never give up on her dreams because she's going to be a swimmer. And I showed my daughter, and she jumped out of her chair and said, oh, my God, Dad, you're a legend. <laughs> It so bad. It took me 10 minutes to play for going to walk high-fiving and go, yeah, I'm the man. You're saying, Paul, just text me. And then just, I said, I can't do it. Love, I'm sorry I played a trick and she was so upset. Oh, that's fantastic, mate. Although for those few minutes, that would have been uh, a pretty impressive spectacle to be in the room. I like it very much. Well, mate, uh, teamdannygreen.com.au, of course, the website. And I guess uh, as we head into the summer sort of beach months, uh, it's a good time for people to get into the exercise. Yeah, it is, mate. It's a great time. Like I said last night, I was on the couch. I had two stubbies. I'm going, you know what? I've, I've, I've fought recently, you know, three and a half weeks ago uh, since I fought. And, um, you know, I've had a few few beers, a few pizzas to let myself go a bit. But now it's time to get back on the on the wagon and just start chilling and start concentrating and focusing. Not so much on my body or, you know, having muscles, but really just my health and getting back into a healthy, healthy way of life because I have been feeling a bit, you know, feeling my crap a bit. And the healthier you eat, the more exercise you do, the better you feel, the more productive productivity you get each and every day of your life. So it really does make sense in Team Danny Green. We're, we're just getting so many people who love it. And coming to summer now is a really busy period. So, um, you know, now it's time for people to go, you know what, I've had a good winter. I've been out of the paddock. Time to start, um, you know, focusing on my health and my lifestyle and my well-being and living longer. It's a good call, mate. Say hi to Usain for me. Will do, Sam. Have a great day, Legend. Good talk to you, buddy. Talk to you next week. What's your favourite emoji? Had a few nominations on Twitter, at Seb Costello 9. Caroline has gone with the face. The official name of it is Face with Rolling Eyes. As in, you know, a bit unimpressed with what you're serving up. Uh, Jay has given us what is officially referred to as the reverse hand with middle finger extended. Open brackets, light skin tone, close brackets. Uh, you're a bit of an emoji operator hyphen who pushes the buttons here on the program. What's your favourite? I'm a smirk man. I like the smirk emoji. Yeah, a bit of smirk. I yeah. thought you were more of an eggplant operator. No, no, no. That's more Jake. It's, he's, no, he thought he after hours. Every now and then. Does he? Yeah. What, what does the eggplant mean? I wouldn't know. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. Okay. Well, let's get on to footy because what is going on with this mob?
Well, first of all, the intro to their theme song goes for far too long. But the Gold Coast, their players seem to be fleeing in droves. You've got Jaeger O'Meara, who might leave the club for nothing through the draft and come to Essendon. That'd be a good result. It'd be good for football, let's face it. Dion Presti is supposedly leaving, maybe Richmond for him. And now David Swallow, uh, Andrew's little brother, who was a number one draft pick, looks like he's going as well. I mean, it would suggest that there's something wrong with the club that we just can't put a finger on. But I guess, you know, when it comes to uh, these sort of views and uh, opinions, well, the president has uh, a certain idea about that. How do I know? I don't, I don't sit in Lee Matthews' mind. He doesn't sit in my mind, thank God. Um, you know, he's entitled to an opinion, and that's all it is, an opinion. Opinions are like arseholes. Everybody's got one. That is the president of the Gold Coast Football Club, Tony Cochran. Got a strange sort of voice, Tony Cochran. Give us that again, Hyphen. He's, uh, it's an unusual way of speaking. Uh, he is the president of the Gold Coast Suns, and his name is uh, Tony Cochran, and this was what he was saying a little while ago when uh, they were talking about how the Gold Coast wasn't going so well. How, how do I know? I don't, I don't sit in Lee Matthews' mind. He doesn't sit in my mind, thank God. Um, you know, he's entitled to an opinion, and that's all it is, and it's an opinion. Opinions are like arseholes. Everybody's got one. What do you reckon Tony Cochran's favourite emoji would be? Might be the same as Jay, the reverse hand with middle finger extended, I would suggest. Little different weather to what I've come to expect over the past fortnight, having a great fortnight over in Brazil for the Olympics in Rio. But there was one day where things got a little bit hairy, and it was the day that Jess Fox won the bronze medal in the kayaking event. I'd started the day at another end of the Olympic precinct, so it was going to take some time to get up to the Deodoro Park, as it was called, which is where the kayaking was. It was also where the shooting was and the Rugby Sevens competition. And so I thought I'd take a bit of initiative and had a look at the Rio public transport map. So it has a bus as a subway and a train, and it turned out that taking the train was going to be the best way to get up to this Deodoro Park. So I get on the train and... These trains are unlike anything you have ever seen in Melbourne. You know, they're really noisy because these traders or merchants that, you know, are, are trying to make a buck walk up and down the train with just bags of lollies, headphones, anything they've been able to get their hands on selling to fellow commuters. And they're just screaming out in Portuguese. One of them even had a little speaker attached to a, a headband microphone as he walked up and down the platform. Anyway, I took a phone call uh, from Jay Mueller, who's our producer, and I was talking about the show for the day. And when I hung up, there was this old uh, Brazilian man looking at me. And he said in a very quiet tone in English, one thing you have to know is that this train is for locals only. They've never heard a man speak English on this train. I suggest you don't speak it again. Right. Okay. So from that point onwards, I sort of kept my head down and the train kept going and going and going to Deodoro. So I got to the train station, got off, and this was clearly a pretty dicey part of town. All you could see was barbed wire, and where there wasn't barbed wire, there was cracked walls with graffiti tags all over it. And so I walked up to somebody who appeared to be part of the Olympic venue organisation to ask them where the venue was. And I said, oh, you know, which way to the kayaking? And she looked at me and then very confidently pointed out her left hand and said, turn right. So I thought I'd split the difference and walked straight down the middle. And there's soldiers sort of every 30 metres. So I'm thinking, as long as you stick with the soldiers, you should be safe. So walking along, walking along, passing these soldiers with the big guns, thinking, is this kind of right? And am I going to be okay here? And eventually I get to a checkpoint 
where it's a military checkpoint and they want to pad you down and they want to you know, go through your bags and everything. And I, and I said to them, look, I've got to get through to the kayaking venue. And that's when they turned a bit nasty and they sort of started stopping and, and harassing and, you know, weren't kind of letting me go through. This is where I started to get really nervous. And then out of the blue, this Rio branded car pulls up and this old man with an accent says, this man is with me, get in the car. I'm thinking, do I go with the strange old man or do I stay here and continue to have a conversation in English with Portuguese-speaking Brazilian soldiers? Take column A. So I get in the car and we start driving along and this car drives right up through security to the back diplomatic entrance of the venue, exactly where I needed to be. So I sort of take a look at this guy and we start talking. Turns out I've been rescued by the Spanish Minister for Sport. And we started having a conversation. He had his little Spanish cap on and his name is uh, Mr. Mendez de Vigo. You can look him up online. And this was his official diplomatic Brazilian car. Well, what do you do when you find yourself in a diplomatic car with a foreign dignitary? Try and get a story. So I thought I'd ask him uh, what Spain thought of the Russians being allowed to compete in some sports of the games. Australia feels very strongly that Russia should not be competing. What does Spain think? We think that... uh that uh, those who uh, have improved to abuse of drugs shouldn't compete. The, the decision of the, uh, of the Olympic Committee has been a fair one. Uh, those who, who, who incurred into really that um, abuse should be sanctioned. They have been sanctioned, but others shouldn't pay for them. So we are, we are, we are happy with the solution, uh, saying very, very clearly that um, 100% against drugs in sport. Thank you for your time, Minister. Thank you for your time and uh, good luck for Australia. Well, it was good luck that afternoon. Saved by the Spanish Minister for Sport, Mr. Mendez de Vigo, only in Rio. So thank you to him. There's a photo of us from the back of that car on my Instagram too, uh, seb.costello underscore. You can go have a look at that. So uh, yeah, lucky. Good on the Spanish. We are continuing to talk about your favourite emoji. Uh, Adam off the Twitter has gone uh, with the dancing samba lady in the red dress, which is very popular. Or also the purple heart, which he says is how you say I love you without meaning it in the romantic sense. So, you know, hi when you bail me out of a tough situation on air, I just love you, man. Right, I'd okay. use the purple heart in that context. Not right. the purple eggplant that you keep sending me and gets increasingly uncomfortable. You should stop lying. <laughs> I will see you. <laughs> Speaking of uncomfortable moments, I had one in Rio. I'll let Das tell the story. We were standing outside the swimming venue on the night that Matt Horton had won his gold medal, uh, and here's what happened. Rub into Nick Green, the chef de mission from the London Olympics. Oh, no, we don't need to bring this up. And uh, and at the same time, Seb uh, <laughs> no, no, entered no, no. stage left, yes. and I and I um, and I sort of you know say, hey Seb, you know you've met Nick Green before. Before I could get it out, he goes, oh James, it's great to see <laughs> oh. you. I haven't caught up with you since last time I interviewed you, and it's fan. I'm looking and going, what are you going with, mate? I just told you his name is Nick Green, who is a chef de mission. He said, oh, you know, congratulations, your new role at Cycling Victoria, which Nick Green says Australia. <laughs> and <laughs> had enough. Yeah. So you've gone with James Tonkins, uh, mate. Uh, oh, they're not all the same, the awesome foursome. Oh, no, but I texted Nick afterwards and said, sorry, we're a bit muddled over here because we've been all over the place. 
Okay, so both champions, Nick Green and James Tompkins, both gold medalists, uh, just legends of the awesome foursome. And uh, James is actually uh, part of the AOC and the uh, and the International uh, Olympic Representative uh, Committees, and, and he was also over there. And uh, I thought when I saw him at the rowing venue one day, I, I was encumbered upon myself to go up and, and apologise for the mix-up, uh, and here's how that went down. Hey, mate, I do owe you an apology. I ran into your uh, great colleague, Nick Green, earlier in the Games, and I said, G'day, James. It was really embarrassing. I'm sorry. I uh, know. I bumped into him before, and he said he had some Muppet come up and talk, call him James. <laughs> well, you're both six foot six and Olympic champions, so, you know, it's a, no, my mistake. Sorry. <laughs> Good stuff. There you go. He took it well. The air was cleared. So that's the last we have to say about that. Thank you very much, Darcy. Now, let's get into the case of Karen Rostevsky, which continues to keep this city talking as the weeks go by, she was last seen on June 29, leaving her Avondale Heights home. And to talk more about it is the crime reporter from the Nine Network. Morning, Alexis Daish. Good morning, Seb. How are you? Very well. So police a few days ago, it was revealed, have began looking at an area in rural Victoria. What do we know about that development? Yes, that's right. So it was on Thursday uh, that Victoria Police confirmed that they are focusing their search for Karen uh, northwest of Melbourne, uh, they sort of they did describe it as a rural area northwest of Melbourne, and they also, on top of that, um, made an appeal to people who live. It, it's, a, it's an interesting one. They didn't specify any particular towns or suburbs northwest of Melbourne, but they did appeal to anyone who lives in that region uh, northwest of Melbourne to check their properties, to be aware of. Uh, their properties, have a look for any suspicious activity around their properties. So clearly that uh, that search in that area is somewhere where they legitimately believe it's worth their time and effort and also worth the public's time and effort to, to look for any clues in this search. Now, reports this morning too, and we should point out that uh, mobile phone technology is not always 100% accurate and, and you can't rely mm. on it. But we understand, uh, according to the Herald Sun, that there has been a, a mobile phone detection by a transmitter tower of Mrs. Rostevsky's phone. Is that right? Yes, that's right. So according to this report this morning, Karen's uh, phone was tracked uh, to 40 kilometres northwest of Melbourne. So... Uh, that is consistent with the location that Victoria Police has said they're searching. So her phone was tracked 40 k's northwest of Melbourne in the hours after she vanished, according to this report, uh, in an area on the Calder Highway near Gisborne. Um, and look, it's also been reported uh, that Karen's husband's phone was tracked on the Calder, but 20 kilometres northwest of their home. Again, this is a report uh, from the Herald Sun. I have put this to Victoria Police this morning to try and ascertain uh, its credibility. They have basically responded and said that they won't provide running commentary on the case. Who's leading this investigation? It's the missing person squad uh, that's running the investigation and they have been since day dot. Um, very early on, Seb, they confirmed that her disappearance was being uh, treated as suspicious um, back when they did their first public search in the weeks after she went missing. And look, there has been um, I guess some, what's muddied the waters is there have been quite a bit of theories um, that family have gone public with. Uh, Vasco Rostevsky is Karen's brother-in-law. He at one point told media that he thought uh, she'd fled overseas. Um, Anthony Rickard, Karen's stepson, has also in the past spoken to media about um, an underlying family conflict, which he thought was related. So there has been a lot of um, theories and, and speculation about exactly what could be behind Karen's disappearance. Regardless, a very sad situation um, for, for Karen's 
family uh, and in particular for her 21-year-old daughter. We're talking to Alexis Dace, the crime reporter from the Nine Network about the disappearance of Karen Rostevsky. And just one last question, because you mentioned uh, the stepson uh, who has emerged as quite an interesting character. What do we know about him and, and what role has he played in the investigation? Look, we know that Anthony Ricard, it's believed that he is, he has been formally interviewed by police, uh, that's my understanding, as has Karen's husband, Boris. Now, he uh, lives in Melbourne. I understand he lives in Diggers Rest. He has made claims in the past that there was, um, I guess, a, a family conflict uh, previous to her disappearance um, that he had, he, he has claimed that he had um, a particular kind of relationship with Karen and that he believed that may be uh, connected to her disappearance. Again, this is uh, things he has told media in the past. Um, and again, police are remaining very tight-lipped about who, who they're looking at or who they're talking to. And it is an ongoing investigation, so we have to be careful about what is said in this case. Absolutely right. And I think we all would like to hear Karen Rostevsky found safe and well, but we'll watch this case uh, with interest. Alexis Dace from the Nine Network. Also, congratulations on winning the uh, Walkley Young Australian Journalist of the Year TV category. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you, Seb. Talk to you soon. Ready. About a right banana. The biggest high-fi act you've ever seen in your life. Come on, mate. Follow me. Follow me to the bench. Fire. This is Brian Taylor. Looks like I'm the only one to win a Coleman and be in a film. And this is Bristles Missing. Take your flags and stick them you know where. He's back. Morning, BT. Morning, Seb. No, I'm not back. You're back. Yeah, well, well, you're back on the program. We had a shortened Olympic version of it the past two Saturdays, which yes. because you are a football champion but not an Olympian, you weren't a part of. Well, I've been here and you haven't. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I would like to have been there, Seb. Uh, well, what what Olympic sport would you have done? I would have done uh, basketball. I yeah, love basketball. So right. uh, basketball and maybe weightlifting. <laughs> you were right in the strong room. Yeah. Really? Well, no, I, I just like it. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> so, mate, uh, let's talk about Juddy because in a discussion uh, at a function during the week, they asked him... What's the answer to players saying that they want a shortened season to reduce the load on their bodies? And Juddy says, rather than shortening the season from 22 rounds, which would reduce the TV exposure and media saturation for the AFL, why don't we think about reducing the time an AFL game is played? And Juddy says he'd actually like to see game length significantly shorter. I reckon you could wipe off 20 minutes to half an hour off the actual game. What do you reckon? Well, a game goes for roughly two and a half hours now, right? Mm. That's uh, when you go to a concert or some other sporting event, that's about roughly the time you pay for. Mm. I think if you're going to take half an hour off that, you're robbing the customer. Yep. Here's a thought for Juddy. Why don't the sports science guys shorten what they do in the preseason? Why don't we bring no training prior to Christmas uh, instead of this nonsense about robbing the supporter? Don't rob the supporter. Cut the, cut the pre-season, pre-Christmas training. No clubs are allowed to train as a group pre-Christmas. That'll save the wear and tear on the bodies. And then the sports science guys would then design a program from uh, you know, January through until March to get these guys in shape, and it would reduce significantly the wear and tear because the wear and tear for me, yes, while the game's a big contributor to that, the biggest wear and tear factor on players is the pre-season. 
Uh, you're robbing the fan, though, if you're watching a game where one team's up by 72 points at three-quarter time and you've got to sit through another half an hour. What's that got to do with it? Well, I'm just saying, you're saying it's all entertainment. It's not always all entertainment. And in fact, in the case of cricket, shortening no. the game is made for a more exciting product. No, no, I'm not saying... Well, yeah, but we're not doing it... We're not, we're not shortening the game to make it a 2020 game here. We're, we're, we're trying to keep it the game of football. If you want to go off and make a 2020 version of football, go and do it and run a separate competition. You haven't got a problem with that. And, and it's not, I'm not saying it's about entertainment. It's about giving the supporter value for money. So I think if you're going to be paying the money that they do to get through the gates, I reckon two and a half hours of entertainment is what you should get. You know, not not all of a sudden just under two hours. We have got a 2020. Have you listened to me at all? I am listening to you, Brian, and we have got it. Do you not agree that the most kilometres that a player does is pre-Christmas? Uh, well, yes, I'll, I'll take your word for it, having not done an AFL pre-season. Though, well, I mean... well, well, it is. That's when they do their long endurance work. That's where they do it all. Mm-hmm. In the pre-Christmas, that's where they get the miles and the legs. And so why do they start so early? Well, it's, it's why do jockeys train in the morning? It's why do swimmers train at 4 o'clock in the morning? It's absolutely absurd. Professional swimmers training at 4 o'clock in the morning. It's, it's weird, but uh, they do that to get the, uh, the miles and the legs so that then they can start to taper and, uh, and, and tune them up after Christmas. But I reckon you'd find that the um, sports science guys would adjust. Also reduce the interchange a little bit more as well. Slow the game down, Seb. Um, you know, why, why are we always taking off the supporter? It's a good more call. interchanges. We're down to 90 this year. Take it back to 60 next year. And all of a sudden, you know, we'll be staying on the ground a little bit longer um, and uh, players will be, uh, be required to show their skill under, under a bit of uh, exertion. One triple three five three. We'll take some calls on this. Do you agree with Chris Judd that we need to shorten the game times or are you more with Brian? And let's ease the load on the player in the training earlier in the year and allow the season to run as it should run. Brian, you mentioned when... Well, not... Just very briefly, yes. what I would be for yes. is if they said no quarter is to exceed 30 minutes. Right. I haven't got a problem with that. So regardless of all the things that can go wrong in a quarter, no quarter exceeds 30. Mate, uh, you mentioned before that we're not looking to uh, create a 2020 football, but we have in the AFL nines, which uh, we see get out there at half time, giving the uh, accountants and the bankers a chance to enjoy the uh, big stage of an AFL game. Do you like that when the nines team go out at half time? Oh, that's been an absolute winner, Seb. Because uh, it's you know you know it's robbed all of the kids that normally play Naboz kick at half time an opportunity to go out in front of a big crowd and play in preference to uh, 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 old age buffets. Um, <laughs> I did hear this was a little bugbear of yours. Now come on, <laughs> now forever little league or Oz kick has yeah. been played at half time. Now those kids are making a way effectively for their parents to go out and play instead of the kids. How, what, what, what is going on? And now the kids have got to get there at six o'clock in the morning to play their game before the big game starts. Uh, I, I, mate, your passion is, uh, wake, it wakes me up on a Saturday morning. Mate, you've filled up the board. We've got callers coming out of our ears now on this game time stuff. Yeah. Ben, Pete, Frankie, hang on there. We'll take you after the break. Uh, BT, just quickly, uh, there's a very special health message that you're involved with uh, this evening. Yeah, we're airing it on Channel 7 tonight. Been and had a, a prostate and colonoscopy uh, checks over the last uh, week or so. We've filmed all of that, Seb, and that's going into the uh, coverage tonight. So what exactly do we see on this vision? 
Well, you'll see the uh, you know how easy it is to go and get a prostate check for men. Right. Uh, you don't have to have the finger if you don't want to. You can just have a simple blood test, Seb. So that's okay. really easy. All right, good. Okay. Takes a couple of minutes. And if you want to go further, and every man that reaches 50 years of age, and those with family history should do it more often, naturally, but... For me that don't have a family history with bowel cancer, you should go and have the colonoscopy. Now, you only have to have it done once if you don't have family history, and that'll last you for 10 or 15 years. It takes 10 minutes. It's very, very uh, uh, non-invasive. Well, it's invasive, but you don't know about it because you're uh, asleep for a little while. And uh, I advise everyone for the peace of mind, Seb, uh, out there, and, you know, let's remember the message out of the EJ Witten game, which is coming up next Friday night, is that... Ted Witten Sr. didn't go and get checked. Now, if you don't go and get checked, you die. That's the choice. So go and get checked. All those tradies out there that are listening now out in the jobs and on their way to work, go and get checked. Just go and have a simple blood test, for goodness sake. BT, it's good to have you back. Go on, yes, Seb. You just heard the bristle man very fired up in response to Chris Judd suggesting we shorten the game time of an AFL match. Here's what Brian had to say. Here's a thought for Juddy. Why don't the sports science guys shorten what they do in the pre-season? Why don't we bring no training prior to Christmas uh, instead of this nonsense about robbing the supporter? Don't rob the supporter. Cut the, cut the pre-season, pre-Christmas training. BT there. Let's go to the callers now at Hillside. Wren, what do you think? Sorry, Seb, mate. Got to agree with the uh, 40 years of experience, mate, Brian Taylor. He knows what he's on about. Um, 100% I agree with him even the pre-season, shorten that a bit. So the top end of the finals, they've still got a bit of, you know, strength left in them and they're not so sore. Mate, I appreciate the call and uh, we'll chuck in a Father's Day gift pack for you. A couple of Triple M goodies there. Hang on the line, we'll get your details. Pete, is it Frankston? Do the AFL need to shorten game times, Pete? Definitely not. I don't feel you should shorten game spans at all. It's definitely robbing the fans and people who have short attention spans really, it, it's it's the way the game was designed. It should not be shortened. A guy like Chris Judd knows what he's talking about, though. Does that not carry weight when he's the one putting it forward? No, I don't think it. I don't think it should. He he played the game how it was designed, and I don't feel it needs to be shortened at all. Beautiful, Pete. Thanks for your call, mate. From Geelong, Adam. What do you reckon? I think Judd's wrong. So I think he's just mucking around with the tradition of the game too much, and you just got to let it go as it is. And I think the game will go back to what it was in the nineties, mid nineties, a little bit. I think it has a bit this year, and I think it will more. As the years go by, as clubs start to draft the pure footballers again. We might even see some big goals, some big bags of goals kicked out. That'd be a good thing, mate. Hang on the line there. You've won a Father's Day gift pack, some Triple M goodies coming your way. Campbell's sisters were one of the talking points of the Rio games. There's no doubt about that. And it all started so well. I was there in the swimming pool, first night of competition, when uh, the 4x100 women's team came up first for Australia, winning gold, and there was a medal. For the Campbell sisters, but obviously they were expected to do just as well in the individual events, in the 50 free and the 100 metre free. And history will say it didn't turn out that way. Well, they've given a really emotional interview about this, well, particularly Kate Campbell. And there's no doubt that she feels like she let the country down. I don't know. She shouldn't feel like that, in my view. She gave it her best and it didn't come up that way. But here is this interview with Channel 7 that has been aired this morning. It's with Mel McLaughlin. And Kate Campbell is asked whether she reflects on the Rio games. Yeah, it's, it's a hard one because um, I, I, don't, I don't want to. I don't want to reflect on it. Um, I, um, 
every time I do, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with, um, with embarrassment and, and shame. Um, and it was... No, Kate has nothing to be ashamed of because she... Um, I think the problem is, is that you go out there and you do your best and you feel like you're representing a whole heap of people who have invested a lot in you. And you expect a lot of yourself and they expect a lot of you too. And so you feel like you've let them down. But I think what has been the most exciting thing is how positive everyone's been. And that's why it's been really emotional is because everybody's been so kind. Everyone has been so kind and it's, um, I think that, you know, coming home has, has really brought that back. Kate Campbell, that's tough to listen to. And there's one word that sticks out there. She says she feels shame. And you go to the definition of shame, it's a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behaviour. And Kate Campbell, you did nothing wrong and nothing foolish. And as an Australian who is so proud of our athletes and was screaming my little heart out from the media area of the Rio Games, that's really hard to hear her say that. And I think now is the time to get around the Campbells, both Bronte and Kate, and let them know that they are world champions, and we're proud of them regardless of what happened in Rio. Still do the reviews. Swimming Australia can still look into how they might be able to prepare better for Tokyo 2020, but we should not have a world-class Australian athlete breaking down in tears on national television and telling Australia that she feels shame. That's not what it's about, Kate. You're a champion, and good on you for giving it a crack. Well, that's all we have for the weekend breakfast this week. Have a great weekend. Triple M's Weekend Breakfast with Seb Costello. Right behind the Alfred's Healthy Heroes Father's Day Appeal. Presented by Bulla Dairy. Donate at alfredfoundation.org.au.